Do I see a traffic warden um, yeah. lurking somewhere near your car? Well, as you've probably figured out this week, it's just Robin and I having our quarterly chat, checking in what we've been up to, what themes we're seeing developing, and which companies we like the look of. As usual, the occasional grumble, but where possible, balanced with some enthusiasm, or at least from one of us. Matthew Grant here, and if this is your first time listening, thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for more. Normal service returns next week. And for all you regulars, great to have you along. Couldn't do this without you. Please do keep telling us what you think and recommending us to others. I noticed that over 200 of you were up and listening before nine o'clock last Sunday. That's fantastic. And finally, welcome to all of you listening in from Singapore. You are our fifth most popular region in March so far. Anyway, that's enough of the intro. Let's get this show on the road. Robin, really good of you to give up Friday to talk to me. I guess we've had such a busy month between us. We've spoken about 200 companies. It's actually uh, the first time we've managed to catch up for a while. So uh, nothing else. I'm looking forward to hearing what you've been up to and uh, you know, sharing a bit of that with anybody that happens to be listening. The only time I get to talk to you now is on our podcast. Uh, you know, you're, you're so busy talking to everybody else. You haven't got time for me anymore. Sorry, I can't go any further until you tell us all why you're doing this from your car. Well, I finally either figured out the work from home approach or finally broken it. But we've got some builders in the house and actually the only place to go and record while he's in the car. And also double benefit for the builder is I'm actually staring at their van in case a traffic warden comes past and wants to move it. But actually, it's really cosy. And I think I might move in. It's nice and warm. It's soundproofed. And uh, we'll see how it all comes out in the recording. But that's why I'm, I'm here. Uh, well, that's a new meaning to the word mobility, I think. Uh, you can go do the shopping at the same time. And so what have you been up to this week? What's been the sort of main theme that's come out for you of everything going on? I think there's one overriding theme, and uh, I I think you and I have felt this for a while. I was really pleased to see Oxbow come out uh, and write a very good article on Monday about the same thing, which is uh, along the lines that the COVID-19 digital accelerant narrative is not right, that there is uh, remarkably little to show in terms of true change in the last 12 months, that what's really happened is the focus has been on facilitating, enabling your workforce to work remotely, more laptops, uh, sort your infrastructure out. Um, But 12 to 15 months on, what we've done is change how we work. We've not changed what we do and we've not changed what we provide to our customers and if as a result of a kind of catalytic event like that we don't change then then i i start to ask myself what will change the industry what is it what what prompt does the industry need i'm just very anxious that people understand because you see a lot of events a lot of comments start with you know now that we've got this kind of digital acceleration that has come from covid you know, let's get on with it. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't buy it. Well, you know, we have the rule here. We're, we're very uh, happy to grumble about what's out there, but the, we have to come up with a solution. So so what do you see as the alternative? How, is it, how are we going to break through this? Is our insurers going to figure it out or is somebody else going to come in and we actually are going to have the disruptors finally? 
almost everything I ever say is self-serving. That was just to set up the, the ability to, to make the point that I think that that makes InsureTech fundamentally vital to the future insurance. I don't underestimate how difficult it is to change an, an insurance company, you know, from a cultural and from a, from a technology point of view. And I think that what this really means is that insurance companies have sort of accepted that it's not a risk worth taking. And that's going to be fine, provided that they embrace the possibilities of InsureTech. That InsureTech um, now kind of moves into the role. I think there's hugely encouraging signs as the amount of money coming into InsureTech. And, and, and it's, it's quite narrowly focused. But this next generation of well-backed MGAs and the full-stack insurance companies that have got going... They seem to me to be the ones most likely to have the future of insurance at their fingertips. And, and you know, it's not that the insurance companies aren't working with them. I think that, that we've got a sort of maturity of, of InsureTech here where, where it's sort of acknowledged what it can do and, you know, real partnerships are emerging. Yeah, and we're going to see more of this distinction between those companies that are providing the technology and selling the technology and those companies that are technology-enabled MGAs. I was talking to a big... US insurtech investor last week and you, the, the really strong theme for them, and they're not the only ones, is these tech enabled MGAs. And the reason we're seeing these really high valuations is SaaS, software as a service, you know, with continuing revenue is what's really attractive to investors. And they can also, they can understand it. You, they, you don't need to understand insurance. But if you see revenues increasing month by month, they get it. That's where all the money's coming in. I think from the insurance point of view, you know, the fact that companies like Hippo are now starting to go out and acquire insurers like Spinnaker, you know, still quite small. But that's the other thing that's going to make them realize that, you know, it's now, is it now going to be the tail wagging the dog when these companies well funded and want to get the distribution, you know, start nibbling away initially the smaller insurers, but who knows? It could be one of the big ones that's up for grabs soon. Oh, no, I think, I think we should be looking now at our own boutique M&A uh, investment banker. You know, because 2021 and beyond, there's going to be a lot of insurtech M&A, I think, at two levels. One of the other effects of COVID has been to delay enterprise sales. The insurance industry is never easy to sell to. And we always, you know, I've often talked about getting expectations set. It'll take you at least 12, often 18 months to sell, you know, a new proposition to an insurance company. It's even longer now, I think. And, and I think that's, that means two things, that some very good insurtechs who are pre-Series A uh, have had to wait so long for the sort of external validation of their models by picking up the one or two customers that makes them an attractive investment, uh, that, that some of them will have, some of them will run out of, out of money. And, and it, I don't, from, my, from a personal point of view, I think there's some quite good businesses in that category. Uh, and I think ultimately, you know, they won't fail. They'll be bought rather than, rather than funded. And I think to your point, some of the money that is being given to uh, the best of InsureTech, which is really where the money is going these days, will enable them to, to pick off anything that looks, I mean, both incumbent and, and InsureTech, that enables them to plug in the other bits that they need to, to, to really accelerate their, their models. Yeah, and there's a lot of money out there looking for investments. And we can all argue or debate about whether Lemonade is worth what it is or Hippo is going to be worth what it is or is with its back. But the reality is that is fueling interest in this, which then puts money in, which then you know, drives a lot of the M&A. But you know, I think the other big challenge for the insurance companies is, to your point earlier, they 
at the most senior level, they know they have to do something, but it's just really difficult, A, to know what problems can be solved. You know, I describe it as flushing out the fatberg, you know, the things that, nasty things that block the drains. There sort of is a desire for some kind of silver bullet or a solution where you say, I take this tech, I take these smart people internally, and I fix it, and suddenly things are a lot better. Really hard to get right in practice. And I think that's what's slowing them down. They just don't quite know what they should be doing, don't quite know who to put onto it. And then you start looking at some of the emerging areas. And we had a discussion recently with a large insurance company on cyber, which, you know, as we all know, is one of the growing areas uh, and frankly could be the next COVID type loss when we all realised what we weren't covered for. And their view was, well, it's just, we just think it's too risky. We could lose everything and we're not going to look at it. So that, you know, they're less keen to get into the emerging areas. They don't quite know how to figure out the stuff where you can sort out some of the back office or the efficiency problems. So they're kind of slightly spinning their wheels, which is why, to your point, unless you get a company that's got a really strong proposition coming in as an insurtech or a startup that really clearly fits a problem, it just takes a lot longer because they've got to convince people, they've got to convince the underwriters. Yeah, it's not just the head of innovation, as we know, he's got a small budget. It's somebody who really has to change their own workflow and sponsor it and probably be prepared to put down hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to bring in this new technology and uh, roll it out across the organisation. Well, again, I'm, I'm continuing with my self-serving theme, but, but I think this is probably what's making us popular and why we're being find ourselves so busy and having to expand in the way we are. Because, that you know, that talking to 200 companies a month enables you to pick up a lot of intelligence. And I think more and more I look at what we do and I think we're an intelligence company. And we signed a new member the other day who, who put it very nicely, I thought. He said, I've, I looked at you and I thought I was going to join you for who you know. And actually, I'm going to join you for what you know, or at least a combination of those two things. And then on top of that, we can do a, a whole bunch with you in terms of events or sponsor things or have dinners. or So, you know, I, I get a lot from, from my money. And I, and I think you're my um, willingness to kind of absorb all this information and try and cut through and come up with what's really going on here it, it, you know, is much appreciated and is seen as a valuable role to fill. It's a fine balance, isn't it? I mean, we've been fortunate and we've worked hard and we've got great people we know to have a community and a network that's continued you know and doesn't rely on seeing us once a month and having a drink to for the network to flourish and these discussions are still going on in the background but at the same time what people really want to know is yeah who they should be working with we're not there to sell for people but we are there to present the facts and make sure that the companies that we think are the ones that people should know about are getting visibility whether it's the new startups or the ones that are, are coming later and so i think that intelligence one is definitely more of what people are going to see from us is a reflection on why we are successful with that parametric insurance report. Your e-placing report went down very well, um, and we've got a lot more coming out that we're going to talk about in a minute. But any any companies out there specifically, and you and all the people you've been talking to that are you know, worth calling out as examples of the things we're referring to? It would be wrong not to mention Zigo. You know, since we last uh, podcasted together, uh, we now have a, a UK uh, unicorn. Uh, our first it's a sort of monkey off the back I think it's about three years ago since they first pitched at, the, at uh, Harry Franks came and pitched at the studio yard I think it was pretty obvious to all concerned that that was a class act uh, and it was going all the way and you know I think they are an example they got the tech right uh, they see themselves as a tech company as much as a it, it, more so than an, an insurance company um, you know SaaS uh, fulfilling a function that the insurance industry couldn't get near 
uh, grappling with of it under its own steam and fully deserving of the money. And, and you know, it would be very surprising to everybody if they weren't a full stack insurance company at, at some at some point, which will make them, you know, really, really quite potentially quite disruptive force and, and, and good for them. I mean, you've got your favourites, too, I know. Yeah, but I just on that full stack point. I was talking to one of the industry analysts about this and the you know, full stack is traditionally thought of being technology, but actually when you talk about Zico as an example, the full stack version there is they've got direct access to their clients, meaning the delivery drivers and the sort of gig economy workers. They've got the full stack in terms of all the technology and analytics. And then the back end, they've now got their own insurance company. So they control their capacity. I don't think everyone needs to do that, but they've chosen to do it. So I think what we see is companies starting off somewhere. And then they, they expand their journey in both directions. I mean, if you can't, you've talked a lot about this, but I, I just keep coming back to it. If you're going to be an MGA enabled insurtech, you've got to figure out where the distribution is. There's a reason why Lemonade spent $100 million on, on marketing. You're just never going to scale if you, if you can't do that. I think the other thing about Zigo, and you mentioned Harry Franks, you know, there's a modesty there underpinned by yeah, some real smart experience for one thing, but just awareness of where his own particular value is. So they've brought in a, you know, a person with a professional CEO to run the business. He's still there as a founder. But yeah, you, I think it's really interesting when you see that combination of people with great ideas build a business, but actually know operationally someone else is going to come in. So yeah, I think Zigo is, a, to me, it's a real case study of lots of things that are good. Um, you could argue that you know, some of the early funding in the US was just a big story of marketing hype. You know, I don't think we have our WeWork equivalent in insurance, but yeah, Zigo is a real deal. In terms of my favourites, and I always tend to you know, fall back on the people I've spoken to most recently. And for me, what I'm seeing is finally we're seeing real examples of AI or artificial intelligence. You know, at one point, everyone was talking about artificial intelligence. And some of that times that meant they just knew how to do a pivot table in a spreadsheet. But, you know, two recent ones, so Flyreel use artificial intelligence to be able to help insurers identify all the nasty things in someone's house. And, what, and the interesting thing about insurance in the US, in the UK, I don't know if you know this, Robin, but if you buy your insurance here, you go online, you, you, you kind of go through a few questions, you click it and you, you're done, you've got it. In the US, the underwriter's got uh, 60 days to come back and ask you all sorts of questions about your property before they actually have to commit to the program. So so where Flywheel comes in is <clears throat> they use the, or people can use their video app to shirt around the home and it will pick up things like if it's got a swimming pool it'll ask you where is the fence and where's the lockable gate and it will distinguish between a patio table with a glass top that's reflecting the sun versus a you know a hot tub and and you and just talking to to cole the ceo and founder you really understand why ai works and what it works so that's one great example and then isi you know which we're both really keen on who you know how, how cool is it to own your own sat build your satellites put them in the sky a flood happens they get into their huddles and models and they redirect the satellites and they go and measure the depth of the water to yeah, a couple of millimeters. Uh, but again, yeah, they're using some, they generally are using smart intelligence to do that. I mean, they are the real rocket science. So I think, again, we're going to see a little, little bit more precision in how these words are used and flush out some of the people just going to throw it in there for marketing as opposed to, yeah, it really is the core of what they're doing. Uh, I I thought your podcast with ISI was absolutely terrific. And, and back to this theme of uh, external forces, uh, the, the, the industry is now being given uh, or effectively other people are investing in the tools we need for us. 
And, and for a company to be so cool that they can um, design, prototype, build, launch, deploy, run mini satellites that they can then ensure in the right place at the right time to check the data that the insurance industry needs seems to, I mean, given what we've achieved over the last couple of decades, it, you know, it is so cool. And, and then I thought, I'm afraid I picked up on the one sentence that did make me chuckle, which was in order to ensure complete ubiquity and ensure that they can lay off the data to all insurance company clients, they pass it off in a CSV file. I mean, that that tells me a, a lot. Um, without being too grumpy on this podcast, um, that is a comment on the industry as, as it currently is. And for those that aren't familiar with CSV files, they were sort of things that predated almost spreadsheets. It's a sort of like a single flat file with data. You can't even do a pivot table with a CSV file. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is a challenge, isn't it? We, there are people now starting to link up with APIs, but and that consistently is whole, comes into this whole platform play, which is another theme coming out. Again, the, the big barrier for insurance companies, they don't want to have to work with a technology company to figure out how to embed things. Uh, and they just, if they've got an API, it makes life so much easier. Uh, and you're actually, Robin, you're also doing some work around that topic or generally around standards. Is there anything there you want to talk about or are we a bit early to reveal that to the world? Uh, yes, I'm doing two things. I, I'm doing, um, a report on no-code and no-code technology, which uh, is very hot right now, and I, 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 we would like to run as writers of Instech London, what does it all really mean for you type of thing. And then I'm, I'm, I've agreed to join the advisory board of a thing called Reconcile, uh, uh, which is being funded by Complex, um, who I also like. Uh, I mean, th- what they're trying to do is create a kind of GitHub of standards of data standards, not set standards, not be accord, uh, but they're conscious of the fact that if you're going to deal with lots of parties and some within the industry and some from without the industry, there has to be some kind of library that ensures that you can have access. You know who's got standards, you know where they are, and with a link you can access them. And I, I think they'll move on and do a certain amount around who's got APIs and who hasn't got APIs and, and, and what standards are emerging there. I, I, I think it's a really, really excellent industry initiative to be, to be encouraged because we, we, you know, we're early in this journey of, of data sharing and ecosystem playing nicely with other worlds. And, and, and we will need the assets to be able to enable us to do that. Well, I think it's also very uh, public spirited of us as Sphere Cole to actually yeah, first of all, figure out what's there. You know, and you're one of the, the team doing that before trying to go off and invent the next standard that maybe isn't the one that people want. I mean, at some point, you've just got to go and figure it out. I mean, we all still talk about the great library of Alexandria, which was, you know, collecting the world's knowledge at the time. I hope Reconcile doesn't suffer the same fate and burn down virtually. I'm sure it won't. But no, I think it's great to see that. Although I do think at some point, the world's going to move to sourcing data right from, well, from the source. So, uh, Archipelago, which will be doing an interview with shortly, based in the US, uh, they are actually going right back to the original corporates, which comes on to North if we want to talk about, you know, the property owners, the asset managers, figure out what's in their portfolio, get that data, keep it updated, and then link that directly into companies like CNA, who they're working with. They've got the uh, people who build the Amazon warehouses. So actually, standards become a little bit less critical, or at least certainly moving data around becomes less critical, because and this may finally, who knows, even be a, a an opportunity for blockchain, you go back to the original source of data and that's it. That's the truth yeah. because it's given to you by the building owner. So I think we're going to see more of that. 
Anyone would think that you've been doing a certain amount of work on location intelligence, because everything you're talking about has something to do with location intelligence. Would, would that be right? Well, you know it is, because every time I think I'm finished, I get another email from you saying, hey, by the way, could you just put this breaking news in? So uh, I thought I was finished this morning at half past nine, and I got some, frankly, some you know, very encouraging news from one of our partners. So it's definitely going in there. But, yeah, that's that's about to go to bed, and really pleased with that, and actually it comes back to our point earlier, you know, the fine balance on these between representing people we know well because they're members and we spend time with them, but not doing advertorial. Yeah. And so part of the, uh, let's say, interesting part of this has been uh, negotiating with people about what goes in. And uh, I don't think there can be 30 leading companies in every area. So we've had to sort of take out some of that. And actually, it's another reminder. And I, this is, kind of think, where we add the value if, and it's certainly one of the things I was hearing from one of the large insurance companies. If you look at a lot of companies' websites and try and figure out what they do and you take out what I call the fluff and the hype, <laughs> sometimes nothing left. So one of the interesting things of this is actually going to people, actually, let's make sure we're really clear on what you do do. So we've done a bit of organization, done a bit of category. But, yeah, anybody that really wants to understand what's happening around uh, how to get information on properties, where they are, what the reinstatement value is, either rebuild cost, what the hazard is. And you know, even now, what, how you assess them remotely is going to find this. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a light read, but, you know, it has got the in-state house style in it and it is pretty well researched. And uh, it's going to be free for a bit. We'll be charging for it after that. But, yeah, if you, if you if you stop sending me emails, you might actually get it out on the 1st of April. Good for you. And then and then I think that we're we're due out due to get reports out monthly um, thereafter. And as a result, we're having to build a team uh, to do it. So so. It only doesn't feel like a few years ago that I was putting 500 quid behind the bar and, and soldiering on with this on my own. And then thankfully I found you. And now we're eight. We will soon be eight, you know, which feels like a, a real company and a team there that can really help us sort of research and analyze and contribute to these reports. I'm pleased to see that the Oxbridge contingent uh, will be high. I, you know, there's nothing. If you want to talk about quality analysis and, you know, academic research, then we've gone to the right places to, to find. To find people. <laughs> well, what I, what, I, what I lose in my lack of a law degree from Cambridge, I, uh, I, I gain from my engineering degree from a, one of those universities that doesn't come under the Oxbridge banner. But no, we've been to, really thrilled, actually, with the response we had for our research analyst. I'm just going to call out Give Grad a Go as well, because they're the people we use to recruit. And I think it also reflects, you know, what we're actually doing and what people's interests are in the world, because we had over 100 applicants. We got five really excellent people, really tough choice, frankly, to decide between them. But we've now got Henry and Ali joining us, uh, who are going to be helping us on writing our reports, you know, helping out Holly, who is you know, working really hard talking to our members once a month and with 115 corporate members now we're keeping her busy and yeah i think robin are going to keep you and i on our toes based on on what they've already come back with and the questions they're asking about the business and yeah you just really see what well for me what's really i'm really pleased with is people early in their career who get it you know we sometimes think insurance is too complicated and it's got lots of acronyms but actually if you get some people that are fresh fresh into it and have got go back to basic principles and I've got some passions around things like sustainability. Uh, you, you really see how we can charge ahead. And actually, in a sense, we've got our own in-house um, uh, BS checker. If they don't understand it, then the chances are the insurers aren't going to understand it. So you know, lots of really good things they're looking forward to. Well, Holly provides another vital function for me. Uh, it's taken her a while to work out what I'm good at and what I'm not. So she now sends me in advance of most meetings a little note about what we talked about last time. 
because she knows perfectly well that I've got to the stage where I've forgotten what was said in the last meeting and then probably won't be able to. So, so you know, there are many different ways in which one's team adds value. Hi, it's Holly here. What Robin and Matthew are talking about is our corporate members. As you've heard, I'm looking after all of our members now, leading our monthly check-ins and understanding what it is that people want to do with us, including our reports, our writing, interviews, events, and even our podcasts when Matthew and Robin aren't chatting away to each other. So whether you're an insurer looking to find out who's really making a difference in the tech world or a technology company with a story to tell, you can contact me, Holly Miller, on LinkedIn or at hello at instech.london. Thanks for listening. Now back to Robin and Matthew. The other thing I'd like to call out is that we've gone, in the last 12 months, we've gone global. I mean, we were seen as London, hence the name. If you wanted to come for our events, you had to be in London. And uh, now, if you look at your podcasts and you look at who looks at our reports and you look at who contacts us, that's changed completely. Uh, It's so exciting. I mean, I don't use that word very often, but you know, from Reask in Australia, who are you know, building a global climate variability model that can be used for short-term seasonal forecasting, you know, which frankly has been next to impossible. But yeah, California. I mean, another company I'm really fond of for a couple of reasons is SafeHub, and you know, you'll like this one, Robin, because you're so keen on use for sensors. And there's a personal connection for me as well because it's co-founded by Doug Fraser, who founded Ecicat, which is one of the early catastrophe modeling companies who's now co-founded it with Andy Thompson, um, who is a structural engineer from Ovarup. But they stick these sensors on buildings for earthquakes. And what's so great about it is in the past, before you could measure the performance of a building in an earthquake, you had to basically destroy it. And what they're doing is they're measuring how buildings shake so that when you've had an earthquake, you can they can use their data to go and tell the building owner whether that building's got some nasty hidden cracks and therefore they should dig in, you know, dig beneath the surface and find out the building's going to stand up or it's fine. And they, they charge $1,000 for a sensor, you know, virtually nothing. I said to Andy on that podcast, are you not getting inundated with brokers wanting to buy your sensor? Because if, if I was a broker out there and I wanted to go and develop a relationship with a corporation, I'd go out and I'd bulk buy these sensors and I'd send them out. And I'd say, stick them on your building for a thousand or a couple of thousand dollars a year. You're going to know what your building is. And by the way, we can give you some nice brokerage on the back of it. But yeah, sometimes innovation doesn't have to be that hard or that expensive. It's just looking for an opportunity and just doing something about it. I think it brings us full circle because this sense that innovation is going to come from without is a huge force within that will be the big corporates. And around the use of sensors, they have, as a result of their understanding of their estates uh, and their software and what they've built, that they are gradually acquiring a superior knowledge of their risks than the insurance industry uh, has of their risks. Uh, and you can sense and get it feeling that it could be done a lot better. Uh, and, you know, we're well aware of, of conversations that are going along uh, along the lines of, of people, if, if the industry can't deliver me what I want, then then maybe I will find another way. And, and this is that there is this gap emerging between you know, particularly around the use of sensors, that, that there are so many bits of plant, generators, buildings. Uh, we have to find a way of using this data to provide a better service because, it, you know, because it's going to be required of us. And if we can't, then people will find another way to do it. It's a big, big feature of this. Big corporates flex their muscles will be an influence on, on the next two or three years too. And I know we, we can't reveal too much now, but... Yeah, I don't know whether it's on the back of your e-placing report or it's going to happen anyway, but we know that there are 
you know, people looking out there for different ways to trade risk. And you, the, the, one of the revelations about that safe hub conversation is the sensors are so cheap and that you know, the problem often has been who pays for the sensors or who pays for acquiring the data between is it the corporate or is it the insurer? Yeah, at this point, it doesn't matter because it's so cheap. And I think to your point, if the insurance organizations don't figure out how to make use of that, then companies are going to themselves. And I think one of the big tragedies that you know both you and I are hearing is when we talk to people about these great companies. So Parcel, you know, another excellent organization, such a wonderful story, you know, really simple to tell, really hard to get right. But again, putting sensors on tracking of vaccines to make sure they don't get too warm. And if they get warm, then you know the vaccine's failed and therefore it has a parametric payout for insurance. Talking to a few people about that, you know, the response I've got was, yeah, I thought they were great. You know, we saw them in the Lloyd's lab. I went back to my underwriter and said, what do you think? And they said, well, you know, I don't know, it's not really in our appetite. And I think London's suffers a bit. And I think if you start to track who's actually putting capacity behind some of these companies, you see as a subset of all the organizations out there talking about this, a big tragedy to miss this stuff too early. I mean, you could, you, yes, you might lose a little bit, but you're going to learn so much and, and really please just get behind some of these things because it's not that hard ultimately to figure out the good from the maybe. Yeah, and I, a little name checked for ecclesiastical too because um, by the time this comes out, I think they will have announced that they have um, long-term plans for using sensors on firstly starting with their heritage estate. They insure a lot of historic buildings, but you know, it's taken it's taken a while for them to understand what what can be done. But, but I know that they've invested heavily in this area, and and it's very nice to see somebody sort of move out of of the mainstream and say, I think we can do this differently. And I, you know, that would be that would be welcome if there are many more of those. I was going to come back to that heritage point. It, it took me a couple of times seeing you on video to realise you weren't actually in your dungeon, but actually you're in a very large fireplace. So you've got a bit of a heritage property. I'm not quite no, sure it's the size ecclesiastical. Property. Sure, but have you got sensors in there to make sure you don't burn the place down or flood it or whatever else you could do to destroy it? No, I haven't. I use this fireplace as my as my backdrop, and I moved the other day and somewhere else. And everyone said, no, 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 no. Will you please? You've got to move your chair back to the to the Harry Potter fireplace where we would like to talk to you. No, I mean that's a really good example. Thatched cottages. Uh, I worked on a really good initiative to use sensors to in all thatched cottages to ensure that you picked up fire the possibility of fire really really early no interest with the insurance industry whatsoever uh, i can't believe that won't be a thing in five years time yeah although i personally know three people that had a thatch cottage and it's burned down so my tiny <laughs> have, you got, have you got i've never seen the outside of your house no it's not thatch no uh, um and and and, and you know I, and no sensors oh, I don't, that's quite not quite right i've got nest and it's a perfect example of what i call artificial unintelligence it does almost the opposite to what I would like it to do, <laughs> having spent two to three years being trained. And when I want it to be warm, it's cold. And when I want it to be cold, it's hot. So I'm fed up with it. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same. We've got Nest. And I'm, I actually just want to go back to one of those simple analog devices. You slide it along, tells you what the temperature is. And then I've got this great idea for a thermostat, because I don't know about you, but in our family, some people want the temperature to be high. And being in Scottish origins, I like it not to spend too much. So it's just basically thermostat and you and you set it to 20 degrees and you think you set a temperature, but slowly because it's got a spring, it actually goes back to reset it to a, a lower temperature. So that's my, you know, if instead it doesn't work out, uh, that's my yeah. second gig is going to be uh, my side project. It's going to be that. Uh, good. Well, Robin, uh, we should talk a little bit about what's happening next. I mean, the great news is thanks to Boris Johnson, 
Uh, he's basically given, I think, dispensation for the steel yard to open up because it's a nightclub. That was very forward thinking of us, wasn't it? To run events in the nightclub. So when they open up nightclubs, we'll be allowed to do it. And you can't envision nightclub with social distancing. That just isn't going to work. So I'm assuming we're going to be all getting out quite soon. We are working on a summer party for July. We will return to dinners uh, in July. Lots of demand for that. There's a real pent up demand to get out and see old friends again. And I'm pleased to say that the people who manage the steel yard have not gone bust in this, rather, which would have been a very difficult period for them. So we're talking to them about returning in, in September after the summer. I think we shall all head to the nearest beach come July or August when, when we've to have a holidays we've long been deprived of. So uh, there won't be much going on there. But, yeah, no, we'll definitely be doing physical activity uh, at Instec and, and add that back to our list of things we do come July. It'll be very yeah. nice to see everybody again. Uh, and people keep asking, and anybody listening that wants to get in the, in the list of uh, organisations that wants to sponsor the event again, uh, please let us know because, uh, yeah, there's a lot of demand now and we're definitely going to want to think quite carefully what we do and who we do it with, but we'd love to hear from you. Or if you're uh, a bit more um, cautious and want to sponsor the second or third event, that's fine as well. It doesn't have to be the first one. And then, Robin, you mentioned dinners, but you're also renowned for those who know you of knowing all the best places to go and eat in London in intimate settings. So uh, we're now putting you on a mission to go and find places to go to for our intimate dinners over the course of the year as well. Oh, it's already done. I've negotiated, you know, terms based on volume. Uh, they've seen me before. They've seen my book club come and go, so they know what to expect. And actually, just given with all our new members, you might even be able to nudge the quality of the wine up a little bit more as well. Just, you know, we're quite cautious how we do things, but I think the quality of wine is a little bit of an index for um, how we're doing as a business. Yes, quite right. There's so much money coming to InsureTech now. Surely we can reflect that in the quality of the wine we serve. Good. Well, on that happy note, uh, is there anything else we should be talking about that we haven't discussed otherwise? I'm sure people have got better things to do with their Sunday uh, than listen to us going on much longer. I think we can talk all day. Time you went and got yourself coffee. Have a good weekend. And uh, well, you and I haven't seen each other face to face since, I think, what, sort of is it August or something or September. So, uh, yeah, I've only seen you from the head up. So we'll be interested to see, compare how the rest of us looks. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, let's not go there. And um, good luck with the location intelligence report. First of April, we're we're we'll all we're anxiously awaiting publication. Okay, speak Thanks soon. Well. See you soon. Bye. Have a good weekend. Bye. Well, not much else to add to that. If you're interested in finding out more about what we're up to at Instec around the world, then you can find us at www.instec.london, or you can contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of the team by email hello at instec.london.